Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, Paul Swangard, he's the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. He's going to join us from his trip to the East Coast this week to discuss how the slumping economy is affecting the sports leagues and franchises in Washington, D.C. and New York. That's coming up in segment three. In segment four, Tony Petiti, he's the president and CEO of the new MLB Network. He joins us to discuss the recent launch of the network The network launched on January 1st in 50 million homes, and they've gotten largely solid reviews thus far. We'll catch up with the gentleman responsible for overseeing all of the day-to-day decisions with the new MLB network. That's coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. We've got a Facebook page. Go to the Sports Business Radio blog or just go to our site at sportsbusinessradio.com. Link to our new Facebook page. We've got lots of friends and uh, even friends from other countries. Our friends from Spain this week. Thanks for uh, joining our Facebook uh, page. That's uh, nice to see you on there. So interesting week this week. The NFL's Final Four is set. The conference championships really lack the superstar household names. Gone are Tom Brady and the Patriots. Peyton Manning and the Colts, Eli Manning and the New York Giants, and Tony Romo and the Cowboys didn't even get into the playoffs. And the teams that have made the Final Four, they're playing terrific football, but they don't really draw in the casual fans. So it's going to be interesting to see what the ratings for the conference championships look like. And then NBC has to be a little bit worried about an underwhelming matchup in the Super Bowl. So that'll be interesting to watch this weekend. There's some news this week out of Chicago regarding the sale of the Chicago Cubs. We'll tell you about that coming up in headlines. And the slumping economy continues to impact the sports world. I'll tell you which sports and apparel company was hit hard this week with layoffs. All of that and more coming up next in headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'll be right back. Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. 
Headline number one. The Tribune Company will select an owner candidate to buy the Cubs within the next several weeks with an eye toward closing the transaction before opening day in April. This according to Cubs chair Crane Kenny. Kenny this week confirmed the bidding is down to three bidders most frequently connected to the process. Real estate executive Hirsch Claff, the family of Chicago-based investment banking firm InCapital Holdings founder and CEO Thomas Ricketts, and a group led by Clarion Capital Partners LLC managing partner Mark Ute. Now, the winning candidate will be presented to fellow Major League Baseball owners for approval, and Kenny indicated the April closing goal would in part depend on Major League Baseball, Bud League helping speed up the typical owner vetting process that often takes several months and ordinarily would extend at least to the next owner's meeting in May, given the current calendar. The Cubs deal also must gain court approval given the Tribune Company's recent bankruptcy filing. That should be interesting to watch. Our next headline, Reebok International this week said that it has laid off 310 employees in North America, including 113 workers in Massachusetts, according to the Boston Globe. Reebok is a subsidiary of Adidas, and they're cutting about 6.5% of their 1,700 Massachusetts employees, including 101 at its headquarters in Canton. After the layoffs, which are effective immediately, Reebok will be left with slightly more than 8,500 employees worldwide. More trouble from the economy there, and uh, Adidas, Reebok haven't really made the splash that they hoped to since they merged and tried to take on Nike a few years ago. Our next headline, NLL Commissioner Jim Jennings resigned this week. After more than eight years in the position, Jennings will be replaced by Deputy Commissioner and COO George Daniel. The league has set no timetable on finding a permanent replacement. During Jennings' tenure, though, franchise values increased from $250,000 to $5.6 million. You know what? I'm going to be very surprised if the NLL, the National Lacrosse League, is around five years from now. I think, as I've said before, the NLL, the WNBA, Arena Football, these are all leagues that are teetering on the brink of extinction because of the economy that we're in right now. All right, our next headline. Fox's Philadelphia Eagles-New York Giants game last weekend earned the network's highest overnight rating for any program since Super Bowl 42 between the New England Patriots and the same New York Giants. Sunday afternoon's game earned a 43.4 in Philadelphia and a 24.9 in New York. Those are big, big numbers. That 43.4 is huge. Our next headline. This is a gripe I have. Gatorade is rechristening its product simply as... G, which is a bold move that has angered the family of the man credited with inventing the legendary beverage. This according to the Palm Beach Post. Mary Cade, the widow of Gatorade inventor Dr. Robert Cade, said, and I quote, We're mad about it. If you want to know the truth, I don't think I talked to anybody that wasn't upset about it. Cade wonders how someone will spot their favorite sports drink in a store. She also says, How are people going to find it on the shelf? Why do we need to change this? Why change something that has been a success? I totally agree with her, and I'm going to be honest with you, and I wrote this on my blog this week. Until I started researching for this week's show and read this story in the Palm Beach Post, 
I watched that commercial several times, and I didn't know what the G stood for. I saw all these athletes. I saw people like uh, John Wooden in the commercial. I saw Muhammad Ali, and I said, gee, is this like a new sports line? I didn't know what it was. Now I know what it is, and I think it's one of the most stupid moves I've ever seen. And guess what? There's other people that agree with me. Of the 576 people who responded to a poll on CNBC, 64% said they didn't like the G idea. Remember when Coke tried to do the new Coke thing in the 1980s and it failed miserably? It's now like a, a classic marketing lecture. It's, uh, I mean, it's the classic case of messing with something that isn't broken. Well, I think this idea is going to meet the same fate. And uh, like I said, I didn't even know what the G stood for. Go to my blog, sportsbusinessradio.com, and uh, watch the commercial. And you know now you know what the G stands for if you're listening to this show. But if you're just reading the blog and you're not listening to this show, probably not going to know what the G stood for. Our last headline of the week, Blake Krikorian, former guest on this show, Sling Media CEO and co-founder, and four other senior executives are leaving the Echo Star-owned technology company best known for the creation of the Slingbox. Departing along with Krikorian, our senior VP business development, Jason Krikorian, Blake's brother, Sling Media Entertainment Group President Jason Hirschhorn, and Chief Creative Officer Ben White, and Sling VP Sales Greg Wilkes. The resignations disclosed to company staff this week arrived 16 months after EchoStar bought the Bay Area company for $380 million. Sling Media formed in 2004 and sparked heavy debate through the Slingbox, which enables the place shifting of TV signals to computers and mobile devices. I think it's a terrific technology. It needs to evolve a little bit. I guess they're going to be able to uh, get this going on the iPhone pretty soon, which would be very interesting. But look, Blake Krikorian and his brother Jason, they started this because they lived in San Francisco and they couldn't watch San Francisco Giants games. They walk away with $380 million. Now they'll go on to their next project. That's a pretty good deal, so I'm not sad to see Blake and his brother walk away from this project. I think they're off to bigger and better things with a lot of money in their pocket. All right, coming up next, Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. And then in segment four, Tony Petiti. He's the president and CEO of the new Major League Baseball Network. We're going to give you the lowdown on the network. It launched January 1st. We're going to tell you why it's different than the NFL Network and some of these other networks that haven't gotten the wide distribution that they've hoped for. That's all coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stick around. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. <laughs> <laughs> 
Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Really confused about the business side of sports? This is Sports Business Radio. My guest is Paul Swangard. He's the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Paul's joining us this week from very frigid New York. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for having me, Brian. So, Paul, you're out there in New York with your students, and uh, anytime you're out there and you're uh, with your students, you like to go visit a lot of the executives who do business in New York with the different sports leagues. I understand you met with the NBA this week. Uh, give us a lay of the land, kind of what your agenda has been like out there. Well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's a phenomenal opportunity, not only for our students, but also for our faculty to, uh, you know, engage the leadership of the sports industry. This year, we added a new wrinkle, which was uh, a start down in uh, the Washington, Baltimore uh, area, and we uh, had a chance to meet with Stan Kasten of the Nationals and uh, Ted Leonsis, the owner of the Washington Capitals, and as well, uh, the folks at Under Armour. And, uh, you know, continuing on through this week in New York, I think the overarching theme is that, uh, you know, nine months ago, most people in the sports industry still thought that sports was recession-proof, and then... Six months ago, everybody said that they thought that sports was recession resistance, and now they're saying that sports is uh, recession lagged and that they're just now beginning to see the full brunt of what is uh, across sponsorship and ticket sales and, and media consumption a, a real challenging time for this industry, and it's going to cause a lot of changes and a lot of uh, you know soul-searching about the way in which these companies do business moving forward. What did Stan Kasten have to say about, you know, the Nationals, they opened a new ballpark, and at the beginning of the season, they had pretty good attendance, but, you know, after that, it was not very good at all, and you would think in the at least the initial year, there'd be a honeymoon period, but they didn't even have that. No, and it's a challenge. I, you know, I think Stan's approach is, is a good one, and it was a message we heard followed up by uh, Ted Leonsis and the way in which he believes uh, he's operating his franchise with the Capitals is... You, you kind of have to be honest with your uh, w- with your fan base about what you're trying to accomplish on the field, but really begin to focus now on trying to create um, an atmosphere that makes people want to come to the ballpark, you know, win or lose. And to your point, uh, and our research has shown that you know most stadiums enjoy about a three-year honeymoon period, but um, it, w- it was either a bad honeymoon or. Uh, uh, the wife uh, decided to annul the marriage because uh, they, they're facing a, a real challenge in Washington. And, you know, it's a phenomenal facility. Um, it's it's green in that it's the only LEED-certified building uh, in professional sports that's been built recently. So, you know, I think they've got some some assets that they can uh, use to their advantage, but uh, they also need a quality product on the field. And that's, uh, as, we, as we know, a work in progress and a, and a challenge for a team that's not the Yankees. We're joined by Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. 
Paul, I've been saying 2009 is going to be the year of the deal for the sports fan because owners, people running sports teams are going to have to bring ticket prices down. They're going to have to do clever promotions to get people to part with their disposable dollar. What are you learning from the executives that you visited about some of the clever promotions or just you know, lowering of ticket prices to draw people to these venues? Well, I think the, the the real concern it was, and it was really reinforced today uh, in our meetings with the NBA, having just recently come off their marketing meetings in Phoenix, that you know the the danger here is to devalue your tickets in in such a way that you have to spend the next couple of years trying to come back to the price points that uh, that you've enjoyed. Um, what they're trying to do is understand uh, you know what what the consumer values in their uh, in their ticket buying experience. Uh, I think there's a message about really, you know, investing in things like customer service and other things that en- enhance the value uh, of that uh, that ticket buying consumer. But at the end of the day, these uh, these franchises are really facing, uh, you know, uncharted water and uh, are doing everything they can to try to rebuild the uh, the equity and the relationship they have with consumers. I mean, I guess the best sign and probably the the the, the one ray of hope that was. Uh, it was actually referenced again and again, both in and outside of the NBA is, you know, if a team like the Detroit Pistons uh, can lead the league in attendance, um, there, there are ways that you can mitigate uh, what is obviously in their geography. In fact, the stat they said today was that upwards of 40 or 50% of the tax base in Auburn Hills uh, is tied to employees at Chrysler. Um, and to have a, a franchise and a building um, still full and still having a fan base is really a credit uh, to Tom Wilson and the group back there. And, and one of the real shining stars and, and examples to be held up is maybe this is a way you can get through the recession. Well, I'm not going to disagree with you that the Pistons are a tremendous organization, but I will be very interested to see what their attendance is a year, year and a half from now, because I think, you know, most of these teams already have season ticket money in their pocket. What's going to happen when we see people having to plunk down money for playoff tickets and also renew season tickets, uh, mini ticket packages, things like that? I think later this year is really when we're going to see whether or not these leagues are heavily affected by this bad economy. Oh, no question. I think, you know, and that's the NBA's uh, issue. That's what the NHL is. I mean, they're going out in the next four weeks with their renewal packages and and we'll see reality, um, you know, and, and, and probably have a much better sense of, uh, of what level of success they might have in, in keeping their customers uh, uh, in flow. I, I mean, I think one of the messages that, um, and this is something that, you know, has carried on throughout the years, is that, you know, people do covet their sports and uh, in many cases see their sport um, uh, spending as a way to uh, escape what is going on in reality. And it's the one thing that they have a hard time giving up because of the intense loyalty they have you know, for their team. So, you know, if you can do everything you can to harvest and uh, and and fan the flames of that uh, that fan loyalty, I think you're at least in a in a good position to put the, you know, the the ticket purchase uh, decision higher on the uh, the importance factor when uh, when people do have some discretionary money to spend. So, Paul, uh, what were you and your students able to talk to NBA Commissioner David Stern about when you met with him? Well, you know, I think the the, the fun part of, of our of our annual visit with with David is, you know, he doesn't necessarily spend all his time talking about, um, uh, you know, the world of um, of running the NBA, but he, you know, he has a much broader vision. And, and you know, I know you've visited with him many times, including on this show. And you know, you're just struck by a, a guy who sees uh, 
uh, you know, things at a much higher plane than a lot of other folks do. He, you know, he spent a lot of time today talking about the role of sport and diplomacy uh, with the changing um, of the administration here in the United States and discussing, um, you know, what steps uh, the NBA has taken in helping to, um, uh, you know, break down the barriers of diplomacy in places like China and, and in places like Iran. They brought the national team to Utah uh, last summer. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, to his credit, I think he appreciates and, and through his leadership of the NBA tries to show that, you know, while we're out to make business and we're out to be a $4 billion enterprise, uh, there's something a little bit more uh, altruistic in what he's trying to accomplish, and and I give him enormous credit for that. And as you know, Brian, he's uh, you know he's really one of the uh, the visionaries in our industry. No, he really is. And and you know, I was on the trip to China with you guys a few years ago, and you see what he's done over in Asia. And you know, honestly, if I had a chance to sit down with David. Off the record, I'd probably want to talk about everything other than the NBA and basketball. I think he's just such a fascinating person. Hey, you're in New York. The Yankees and the Mets, it's like this bad economy thing doesn't even exist. They're selling tickets and sponsorships and signing players like they're going out of style. Talk about what you're seeing down there on the ground in New York with the Yankees and the Mets. Well, it's with everybody. I mean, there's you know general enthusiasm for the, the new facilities coming online in baseball, the uh, met with the Knicks the other night, and they're you know seemingly now turning the corner with a with a new uh, new cast of characters, both on and off the court and in the front office. And uh, you know I think you walk away from from any time in New York really appreciating the fact that uh, uh, you know this is a quintessential American sports city. They love their uh, love their teams. They uh, love to talk about um, uh, you know what's to come in the spring. And and when you're walking outside on a nine degree uh, January day, uh, you know, hope springs eternal and uh, hopefully keeps you warm. So I, I think everybody's excited. The facilities look, uh, uh, you know, quite amazing. We saw them as we were flying in and, um, you know, I, as you point out, uh, they're still going to have uh, uh, plenty of money to count when they're, uh, when they're done with the new season of the Yankees. And, and obviously they're already putting that money in play. Uh, I believe now, you know, the top four players in Major League Baseball uh, salary-wise are all uh, members of the pinstripes. Yeah, they are. Hey, Paul, we've got a few minutes left. I know you've got some exciting things coming up with the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Uh, why don't you share those with us? Sure. Well, I think what we're trying to do, um, you know, as we continue to, to develop our program is to, to give other folks the opportunity to uh, to engage um you know the the relationships we have with industry. One of the things we're trying to do is is broaden uh, and extend our uh, activities up in the Portland market. We're uh, teaming up with the University of Oregon Law School uh, on the 23rd of January and hosting a sports law forum uh, down at the White Stag, our new facility in in downtown Portland. A chance to you know listen and hear from a lot of folks who are you know cutting across the different areas of our industry as it relates to to the legal side, both. Uh, player agents, uh, you know, uh, lawyers within the framework of the product and, uh, and apparel industry, and uh, and some collegiate athletic directors talking about compliance and uh, and for those who are are big time boosters, just how you uh, you know you 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 help your boosters understand that there are limits to what they can do, and you can't pay your uh, your, your favorite uh, you know college running back fifty dollars to uh, to watch your lawn grow. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely helpful information. So, hey, thanks for making time for us. It's been a crazy week in New York. Uh, just quickly, I know you were at the NBA League office when the uh, 
the whole plane fiasco at the Hudson River on uh, Thursday happened. Uh, just give me some insight. What was it like being in New York when that went on? Well, you know, I, I think there's a there's a general jittiness, or jitterness rather, when uh, when uh, types of things like this happen. Um, you know, I, I think uh, we should all share in uh, in, in our blessings that uh, it sounds, at least on the the initial surface reports, that uh, there was one heck of a uh, guy leading that plane into uh, into the Hudson River and to have uh, you know 151 people obviously go through a pretty harrowing experience, but at the end of the day, be able to live to tell about it is um, is wonderful news and uh you know the city of new york i think uh you know reacted quickly and it was exactly the kind of uh response you'd have from uh from a city that's obviously seen its share of tragedy in recent years yeah i mean they've been calling it the miracle on the hudson for that guy that pilot to put that plane down on water is uh really remarkable paul thanks for joining us enjoy the rest of your trip and uh, we'll catch up with you soon that sounds great brian thanks you too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, Fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, Go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere, and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Tony Petiti. He was named President and Chief Executive Officer of the Major League Baseball Network in April of 2008. He oversees all the day-to-day operations of the network. The Major League Baseball Network launched on January 1st in approximately 50 million homes as the largest network debut in cable history. Tony, thanks for joining me here on Sports Business Radio. Thank you for having me on. So anytime you launch a new network, there's always some bugs to work out. How are things going for you guys in your first month of operations? They're going really, really well. We've, you know, we felt uh, great about our debut. We thought the opening programming was, you know, garnered a lot of interest to have the Larson Perfect Game and the, and the replay of that original telecast and to have, you know, Yogi and Don with Bob Costas and, uh, you know, hear from them. We thought that really worked well. And, you know, what we're really excited about is that, uh, you know, the hot stove show, our studio show, is getting a lot of attention. It's a unique show out there right now. We're covering the off season nationally, I think, you know, in a pretty much an unprecedented way. So that's been good. You know, like any launch, there's all kinds of things, you know, behind the scenes you work on every day. Every day is a little bit different. But, you know, given the short time frame we have uh, to get this thing up and running from June to Jan 1, it's, it's gone really, really well. Yeah, so let's talk about some of your programming. I really like the, the 1956 Don Larson perfect game. One of the things I like the most is that you left some of the old commercials in there. I thought that was really cool just to look back and see some of the spots that were running 
way back when. But, uh, you know, the hot stove show that you just mentioned, it seems like that's become your, your signature show. Maybe you can talk about some of the other regular programming that you have on the network. Yeah, that's, you're exactly right. It has become our signature show early on here. You know, what we wanted to do is we really felt that our studio operation was what was going to distinguish us, you know, in the first year of the network. And so Hot Stove will eventually morph into MLB Tonight, which will be, you know, a show that will come on at 6 p.m. in season and it will conclude with the last out on the West Coast. And, you know, you have to picture sort of the idea of March Madness where you're bouncing from game to game, getting in-progress highlights, and really sort of being command central for everything baseball. That's what we want that show to be, and we think, you know, we'll be able to do a great job of that. We can cover all 30 teams and bounce around. You know, some of the other important programming is one of the great things about baseball is the archives are so rich, and people really relate to baseball and the history of the game, I think, in a, in a unique way compared to other sports, and that's a great asset for us. So we are going to, you know, tap into the archives, whether we do, you know, classic games that will sort of update, whether like we did with the Larson game, or whether we do, you know, shows like we're doing now called Prime Nine, where you look at the nine best in all different kinds of categories, or... We have one show called Baseball Seasons where we look at an entire year to show what was unique about that season. So, you know, it's a combination of live studio programming, um, archival st- uh, programming, and then also, you know, we'll have live games as well. We'll have a Thursday game of the week. We're, we're going to do the Caribbean World Series. We're going to try to have some youth baseball. So I think it's sort of taking uh, as much programming from every bucket that, that we potentially can have and then, and then see where it goes from there. How rich are your archives? I mean, again, we talk about the 1956 Don Larson game, but – you know, from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, I would imagine you have a lot of uh, footage in the archives from those yeah. eras as well, right? Yeah, there's, uh, you know, thousands upon thousands of hours. You know, some games are complete, other games aren't. It just really depends, you know, how far back you're going and, and to what type of programming. But, you know, the great thing is the really talented group of production people at MLB Productions, and they're sort of, uh, you know, we use them as a production company for the network. They've produced a lot of good content for us, so... It's not only the production team that we have here, but it's also the resources from MLB Productions as well. And, you know, they're doing the baseball season series for us, and they've done a great job with that so far. So, you know, there's, there's so much stuff there. Uh, it's just over time we'll come up with all new ways to package it and repurpose it. It's just, you know, we can't do everything in the first year, but we know we're gonna, it's only going to continue to grow. Looks like for the first year you do have plans to air 26 live baseball games. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep, on Thursday night. That's great. So that's going to become, you know, we see Sunday night baseball on ESPN. Can we now look forward to Thursday night baseball on the MLB network? Yeah, I mean, I think Thursday night is a great name for a uh, great night for us. Rather, it's got uh, there's less games on Thursday. It'll give us more of a national footprint, less local competition. So, you know, if you're going to be a baseball uh, MLB network, you want to make sure that you do have live games and showcase the way the game is played. So. You know, we're excited about having that Thursday night, you know, and then we'll obviously the rest of the week we'll have MLB tonight. MLB tonight will be on in front of and behind the Thursday night game. So one thing that if you look at the network that I think makes us somewhat unique is, uh, you know, we're going to have over 1,400 live hours in our first year, which if you look at is a pretty large number given to be a startup network with. So, Yeah, Bob Costas is part-time studio host, but then, you know, you've got Harold Reynolds, Barry Larkin. How did you go about building your your, I guess, list of analysts, and then your, your studio talent. Yeah, I mean, we, it was a combination of things. We had guys reaching out to us. We reached out to certain guys that we had seen doing things locally. We did auditions. So it was all sort of every way imaginable. And, you know, what we did is we tried to find guys that obviously had great playing experience but also had a lot of broadcast experience. So if you look at our team uh, top to bottom, there's great depth there. There's a lot of really uh, hardcore baseball people, not just the analysts, obviously, but the hosts are all 
whether it's Victor Rojas or Matt Vescursion, have great baseball experience. So um, it was a combination of doing all those things. But we got great interest. We probably auditioned over 30 guys. So it's been, you know, we've been really fortunate to be able to put together what we think is a good team. Costas is so knowledgeable about baseball, and he's such a recognizable name. How involved is he going to be uh, in the MLB network? Well, you know, that's that's to be determined. I mean, this show was sort of a one-start thing, and then we're going to, you know, if we can figure out a way to do more with him, that would be great. But that was sort of, a, you know, a starting point for us with, with Bob. And, you know, obviously he loves the game, and if there's ways we can figure out to get him involved here, we'd love to do that because I think you could see right away from that show what he was able to add. Sure. My guest is Tony Petiti. He is the president and CEO of the Major League Baseball Network, the network Launched on January 1st, they're in approximately 50 million homes. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your sets. I, I like you've got Studio 3, named in honor of Babe Ruth, and you've got Studio 42, named in honor of Jackie Robinson. Maybe you can explain to our listeners what's going to happen in each studio. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, 42, we just wanted to have something really authentic to the game. So we built, uh, you know, a replica ballpark. It's got... Uh, basically a half-scale infield and an outfield. But the thing I like the most about it when you see it on air is that it's really authentic. There are real dugouts. There are real outfield walls with foul poles. And we have you know real uh, we have bleachers where you can seat about 175 people. So, you know, it's not really like a facade. It's actually a real, a real set. It probably resembles more of a movie set than it would a, tele- a typical television set. So, um, you know, we're really excited about that. We can do all different kinds of things in there, demonstrations, interviews, we have a guy sitting in the dugout. We had uh, Ricky Henderson was out today. You know, he did a great demo of how you steal third base with Harold Reynolds and Barry Larkin, which was just outstanding. I mean, it's, it's great for young kids to watch it, but it's also entertaining to see what was going through his head, you know, and how he approached stealing bases. So we can do things there. Studio 3 is more techie. It's got lots of monitors. It's really the home of, you know, all the information of the game, I guess is the best way to say it. So it's got, you know, that's where we'll host our main studio programming. But we'll go back and forth in the course of a night. So in any one show, you'll see different program segments coming from both places. You know, you talk about Ricky Henderson and the demonstration. One of the things I enjoyed watching this week was the Hall of Fame announcement and the inductions of Ricky Henderson and Jim Rice. And it was the first time that it was ever broadcast live, these announcements, and your network was able to broadcast that. It seems like we're going to see more things like that in the future, right? Yeah, exactly right. I mean, that's uh, I appreciate you saying that because I think it's, no, what we want to show is that when there is stuff breaking out, I mean, the more we can be live, the more we can be attached to the game, wherever it's being played. And, you know, we've done press announcements. We took a live press conference today from, you know, the Hall of Fame when, uh, you know, with Ricky and Jim Rice. We did, uh, we had the Milton Bradley, you know, press conference when he signed with Chicago. We've done Mark share. So, you know, we're going to be sort of everywhere. That's the idea that we are there to cover baseball. We want to be able to be pretty agile. And, and I think when you're 24-7 baseball, you have the ability to do that. So that's a huge luxury for us. So, um, you know, we're always looking to see what fans want to see and then try to figure out a way to get it on the air. The Major League Baseball Network gave Comcast, DirecTV, and other pay TV providers an equity stake in the Major League Baseball Network and the process gained access, as I said earlier, to about 50 million homes at no extra charge to viewers. By contrast, the NFL Network, which launched in 2003, they're only available in 42 million homes and Comcast customers must pay extra if they want the channel. It seems to me, just based on pure numbers, that you guys took a pretty smart approach by giving these distributors an equity stake in your network. Maybe you can discuss that strategy if you would. Yeah, it was really done by Tim Brosnan and Chris Tully, who were in the baseball office, and they put this together before I came on board in, in June. And, you know, in fairness, they did an incredible job of securing the clearance because, 
you know, you've talked about the sets and the studios and the programming. All of that is because we have this great distribution that allows you to build a network the way we did. And I, I, just th I think they took an approach that they thought was best for baseball and the game, what they were trying to build, at the idea that if they can get meaningful distribution, it was okay to have partners. And uh, they did a great job of bringing them in. It's really changed the whole game uh, in the way the network's been built because, you know, as you know, one of the big, uh, you know, uh, discussions and battles is always trying to get that clearance. And it's just one battle that's been taken away from this network. We don't have to focus on that here. We, you know, we're obviously we're trying to grow our distribution, but it's, uh, it's, it's a nice luxury to know that we have that great reach. So explain to our audience, you know, we just mentioned some of those networks have an equity stake. Who else owns the Major League Baseball network? Is it the other owners of all the Major yeah, it's, League it's, teams? Yeah, I mean, the exact structure is the Major you know, it's There's an arrangement uh, between uh, Major League Baseball and then the, you know, uh, Comcast, DirecTV, Cox, and uh, Time Warner. So, you know, that's the group that owns it. Um, and really the you know the key decision points are done by, by Major League Baseball. I'm just wondering, you know, I... You may not want to comment on this, but I've watched the NFL Network battle, and I've just said to myself, at some point I think that they're going to need to make a similar offer to what you guys did with an equity stake, or else I don't know that that thing's ever going to get done. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know the answer to that. I mean, I guess you know, every situation is different and unique, and you know, I just know that what's worked for baseball you know, has been to my advantage here, and, and I think every situation has got its own sort of way of going and zone flow. So with, you know, at least on this one, you know, baseball came to that decision and, you know, that's what the path they chose. And it's, it's, you know, I think it's worked out pretty well. My guest is Tony Petiti. He is the president and CEO of the Major League Baseball Network. We've got just a few minutes left. Tony, there are some controversies in Major League Baseball, uh, you know, the steroid era and, you know, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens. Is your network going to cover those things, or because you're owned by Major League Baseball, are you going to try and steer clear of those topics? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is you have to be credible, and I've always told everybody when that question's come up is that if it's important to baseball fans, we need to cover it. If we think baseball fans want to know about a certain issue or topic or, you know, impact in the game or something about a player, then they're entitled to that information, and we want them to come to us for that information. So, I think you need to be able to do that. I think if you looked in the show yesterday in the Hall of Fame show, we had a pretty frank discussion about, you know, who should be in the Hall of Fame going forward and how, you know, the past year is going to be represented uh, in the Hall. So I think we've shown that we have that independence. Uh, I think everyone at baseball, uh, from the commissioner on down, has been very clear with me that, you know, we have to be credible, we have to be authentic, and we have to be able to do that. And if you look at MLB.com, I think they've already shown that they do that. So. Um, I think we're going to be okay on that front. No, that's good to hear. Uh, Ken Burns' documentary on baseball, what a tremendous documentary. I'm wondering, in addition to those types of documentaries, might you produce any original documentaries that you guys create? Yeah, I mean, we're looking, and I think baseball seasons falls into that, but there are going to be some things that we do that sort of, you know, whether it's taking other games like the Larson game and sort of doing a, a treatment on it where you go back and hear from the players in the game, there's that. We've got some other shows that are sort of in progress here, but yeah, I mean, documentary-type type programming is really important, uh, historical stuff. We've got, you know, a, a show coming up on Monday on, you know, on the Negro Leagues and, you know, Pride and Perseverance, talking about, you know, what went on there. It's a great show in terms of the history that we've produced. So we are going to be looking at the baseball calendar and trying to be timely, trying to come up with programming that has a reason for when it hits. And I think, you know, this Monday night's a good example. Tony, you were with CBS for a number of years. You were instrumental in CSTV's transformation to the CBS College Sports Network. What are the biggest changes with televised sports coverage in the last five years? You know, I think 
It's well, I mean, from the production standpoint, I think obviously, you know, stuff is showing up in different places. The technology, you know, allows you to do a lot of different things. And I think, but the key thing is, if you look at it, you know, the core way most sports are covered hasn't changed very much, whether it's the way you watch a football game, the way you watch a baseball game, in terms of the on-air production. What has changed is sort of the bells and whistles that go around it. And, you know, you're able to do some different things. And most of those are for replays or, you know, graphic insertions, those type of things. On the business side, obviously, you know, the ability for, you know, some of the bigger events to be in places like ESPN and other, other, you know, all sports is is a little bit different than it may have been 10, 10, 15 years ago or 20 years ago when I first started. So I think that's probably the biggest change on the business side is where events can live and where leagues put their product and what's, you know, what the future is of that. So I think that's there. On the production side, it's trying to be smart to use this technology to find ways to really make the technology add to the experience as opposed to just, just being there because you can do it. Yeah, I mean, I have an iPhone and I have the MLB at bat application and I just, you know, it allows me to follow literally every at bat in a Major League Baseball game and I look at some of the technologies and trends and wonder where is TV coverage and, and baseball coverage going to be five years from now and it seems to me that, you know, we've seen the development of HDTV like you just talked about and instant replay, but I'm kind of envisioning a world five years from now where we may be able to actually watch a game on our handheld device. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, it's, uh, you know, I think all content providers are going to make sure that, you know, you almost want to be, you know, agnostic to what the delivery system is. You want to make sure your product lives in as many places as it can. So that's really for, you know, for baseball to decide not to be mine. My job is to make sure that when it lives on the MLB network, it's it's presented in a first-class way and one that viewers want to get. So I still think, you know, people are going to love that experience of coming home, you know, with you know, with HD TV and watching a game or watching a studio show or watching something that's a documentary because there is something valuable about that. Having said that, giving people access to the content in other places when they're on the move or where they can't be in their homes is really important. And you know, if you look at what MLB.com has been able to create and the access it gives to fans all day long, that's a great example of that. So, I mean, you're right. It's just moving to, to having the content in as many platforms as possible. Tony, if people don't have the MLB network or they want to learn more about your network, how can they do that? I, mean, I think they should call their, you know, their local provider, whether it's a satellite service or um, if it's, you know, it's direct, the odds are almost overwhelming that they do have it already. Uh, one is uh, we've got a great thing. You can go to MLB.com, and you can log on there, put in your zip code, and it'll tell you what channel it's on. So that's the first way to find out if it's available in your market. And if you don't have it, they can tell you what you need to do to get access to it. So uh, basically, if you have digital basic cable, you should have access to us. I am one of the fortunate ones who has the MLB network. I can tell you if you have not seen it, you definitely need to make time to tune in. Tony Petiti, he's the president and CEO of Major League Baseball Network. Tony, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. I enjoyed it. You take care. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen 
Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, the annual Consumer Electronics Association estimates that more than 110,000 people attended the International Consumer Electronics Show last week in Las Vegas. It's called CES for those in the in the industry. That's down 23% from the 141,150 who attended last year's event. The number is also far fewer than 130,000 the CEA conservatively predicted for this year. Attendance for the 2007 CES event was 143,695. More signs of the economy slumping, not as many people traveling, not as many people going to shows like that. Here's my favorite story of the week. The single-A New York Penn League Brooklyn Cyclones will change their name to the Brooklyn Cyclones for their June 23rd game against the Hudson Valley Renegades. Special promotions that day will include free Barack Obama bobbleheads to the first 2,500 fans in attendance and free admission to the name to, to the game for anyone named Barack. President-elect Obama will become President Obama this Tuesday in Washington, D.C. Lots of thank yous on the show this week. Tony Petiti, terrific interview. If you want to hear that interview, you can listen via podcast for our regular show. Or you can go to our interview section, and we'll have that interview posted there. But I love what they're doing with the Major League Baseball Network. Really good talent on there. Uh, like he was saying in his interview, the Jackie Robinson set up there they've got with the studio where they had Ricky Henderson in this week to show how to steal a base. I really like how they've got that set up. And, uh, boy, they've got wide distribution. They've done this much better than the NFL Network or the Big Ten Networker. Even in Portland, where I live, Comcast Sportsnet. So congratulations to the people at Major League Baseball on the launch of that network. Paul Swangard, thanks to him for joining us as well. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week, just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. Hey, a really cool promotion the Portland Trailblazers did this week, and I want you to check that out. Read about it on my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Very, very clever on their part. I'm Brian Berger. Have a terrific week, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio.
Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.